do what it's sent forth to do. To set people free. And to move us up to a higher level. From faith to faith. And from glory to glory. In Jesus name. Amen. Open to the book of Acts if you would. The book of Acts. At the direction of the Holy Spirit. uh, Over the next several weeks. Until the end of June. We're going to be looking into the book of Acts. And what, what we're trying to do is to present to you a portrait of the church. What the church should look like. Remember several weeks ago, I tried to show you what the founders of the United States intended for the nation to look like. And to do that, we had to go back and look at what George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and some of those people way back there then, what their original intent was. If you look at our nation today, by and large, it doesn't look anything like what the founders intended. You understand that? And that's, and that's sad. And the same thing is true with the church. If you want to know what the church is supposed to look like today, you don't need to go across town. To see what they're doing across town at such and such church. You don't need to go up the street or look into another state. All you need to do is go back to the book of Acts. A-C-T-S, book of Acts. And there you'll find what the church is supposed to look like. Did you hear me? You need go no further than your Bible and look to the book of Acts. And, and you will find... That the church today in the United States, by and large, does not look like, sad to say, the church in the book of Acts. And, that's, and it's tragic. There are some churches that do look like the church in the book of Acts. I have, I have done my best to run this church over the last 21 years to line up with the book of Acts. Now, no church is perfect. I tell people frequently that this is not a perfect church. You know why? Because I'm here. (laughs) And you're here, right? There is no perfect church because we're people. Do you understand that? But what's on my heart is I want to run the church in line as close as possible to the book of Acts. You'll even see as we go along here, the church that we're studying about in Jerusalem wasn't even the perfect church. They had their problems and their issues. But yet, but yet that, that is the, the model, at least when they started and for the first many years, that is the model of what the church is supposed to look like in, in the time in which we live. And, and sad to say, it just doesn't look like that anymore. I'm talking about the churches in the United States, by and large. So let's get into the book of Acts. We started it last week. And let's see what the church is supposed to look like. Now, again, this is not a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. It's not even necessarily a chapter-by-chapter. We're not going to do the entire book of Acts. We're not going to get into all of Paul's missionary journeys. But we're going to study enough from the book of Acts over the next month or so to see what the church should look like today. Now, last week, if, if uh, you recall, there, there was a bit of anger in my tone last week. Not angry at you. Not, I'm not angry at, at, at anybody. You're good folk, good people. But you have to understand, over the many years, I've seen so many people. I, with this church here, Summit Church has been in existence 21 years, going on 22 if I'm not mistaken. I've been doing, been around the ministry in the local church for over 30 years. And I've seen so many, and I'm not talking about any of you, but, I, but I've seen a lot of people over the years that have not shown proper respect toward the house of God. And sometimes it makes me angry. You know, you can be angry and sin not. 
And you know I'm in good company because Jesus, on two occasions, at the beginning of his ministry and about three and a half years later near the end of his earthly ministry, when he went to the temple, he saw things there that made him angry. Now, he never sinned, did he? But the Bible says you can be angry and sin not. And he got angry, and, and I've never yet done what Jesus have, has done. I've wanted to a couple of times, but I've never done it. He got a whip. I said 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 Jesus, our Lord and Savior, got a whip. And turned over the table of the money changers and drove out the people that were disrespecting the house of God. And there's a scripture that says that zeal for my father's house has consumed me. See, it, it upset Jesus when people didn't respect the house of God properly. And you know, I have that same zeal. I have a zeal for my father's house. I'm talking about God the Father. And I want the house of God to be respected properly. And I do get angry sometimes. Not angry at any one person. I'm not even talking about you. You're good people. I'm talking about people I've dealt with over the last 30 some odd years. We'll say more about that as we go here today. Last week we talked about the outpouring of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and all that happened. And we noted to you and said that God wants all sinners to repent and come to the Lord Jesus and get born of the Spirit, get born again. And then God intends that every born again believer goes on and gets baptized with the Holy Spirit and speaks with other tongues. And the New Testament is written with the assumption that all believers are baptized with the Holy Spirit and speaking with tongues. Can you see how the devil has changed that? Over the last many, 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 many years to the point that some churches in the United States will tell you that if you speak with tongues, you're of the devil. Isn't that sad? You see why the devil works overtime to, to if you can get the Holy Spirit out of your churches, then you get the power out because the Holy Spirit is the power of God. Did you hear me? And churches that do not. Believe in speaking with tongues. They don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are not in line with the with the church, the New Testament church, the Bi- the church of the Bible. Did you did you hear me? Amen. Did you hear me? Yes. Now did did you get that? Yes. And I came out of the Baptist church. I love the Baptist. I'm still a Baptist at heart. I'm just I'm just a. I'm going to just say it. I'm just a Baptist that got fully in line with the Word of God and got baptized in the Holy Ghost and went to speak it in other tongues. So you call me Bapticostal. Right? You okay? So, so the baptism in the Holy Spirit should be taught from the pulpits. Did you hear me? Now, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. And we went through all that last su- Sunday, so I won't go through that again. But some of the mockers said, well, these, these are drunken. And Peter, notice Acts 2.14, stands up with the eleven and raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose. Since it's only about the third hour of the day or nine o'clock in the morning. Now you need to understand the whole crowd didn't think these people were drunk. It was just some mockers. And, 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 and I'm going to just say this. That when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And see this is something that I've watched over the last 30 years. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people think, well, you're going to act like you're drunk and you're crazy and all of that. Did you know drunkenness is condemned in the scripture? And the Bible says that we're supposed to be sober minded. And if we're really flowing with the Holy Spirit, people aren't going to think that we're crazy. People are going to say truly God is among these people. Did you hear what I just said? And somewhere or another it got off that when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit that you're weird and crazy and, and, and you're going to be, you know, swinging from the chandeliers. 
that I don't go along with that. I think that when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're full of power. You become more sober minded than ever. And people aren't going to go away from you thinking, well, they're nuts. People are going to go, go away from them after you just slap them upside the head and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. And they get healed. And they, well, God's truly among those people. Can anybody say amen? amen. That's the kind, that's, that's what I'm after. Hallelujah. Did you hear me? Anyway, anyway, he said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, notice Peter's going to give an answer to these mockers concerning uh, the word of God from the word of God. You know, we ought to answer people based on the word of God. And he says in verse 17, and he begins to quote from Joel, the second chapter. And he says, it'll come to pass in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. That ought to be going on. We're in the last of the last days. That ought to be going on right now. And on my men servants and maid servants, I'll pour out of my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath blood, fire, vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness, moon in the blood before the coming great and awesome day of the Lord. It will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he answers with the word of God. And then in verse 22, he begins his sermon. I wonder what sermons or messages or talks, whatever you want to call them, I wonder what they should be coming from the pulpits of America. What kind of messages should we be preaching? Well, we can go and we can look and see what message Peter preached right out of the Right out of the blocks. What did he preach? He said, men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. How many of you know that Jesus should be preached from the pulpits of America? First and foremost, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Does it look to you like Peter is ashamed of miracles, wonders, and signs? No. He said, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up. Is he preaching the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? The death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ should be prominent in our pulpits, you see. That's the gospel. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now notice, having loosed the pains of death. He wasn't talking about physical death here. How many of you know, once somebody has died, physically there is no more pain? You see... In this first sermon, we're going to see something that Peter preached. And every time I've preached on it, the power of God seems to increase. Yet, this very message, which I'm going to just be giving you the highlights of here. There are many churches in this nation that you begin to preach this message. They're going to call you a heretic. They're going to say you're in error. But yet it's the message Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He not only preached the natural side of what Jesus did, but he also preached the spiritual side of what Jesus did through his death, burial and resurrection. You need to realize there's a natural side and that's usually what gets preached. And that's great. It it needs to. But there were also things going on in the spirit realm that often don't get talked about. What happened to Jesus' spirit when he died on Calvary? Where did his spirit go? People don't want to talk about that. I've been criticized for talking about that over the years. Vehemently criticized. I've had people leave this church because I simply agree with the Bible. That's sad, isn't it? Have people leave your church because you're preaching the Bible. I had one couple sit down and vehemently tell me, it's wrong. 
But yet it's right here in the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, having loosed the pains of death. That's talking the spirit right there. He's talking about the spiritual side of what Jesus did. Now, we emphasize both sides here at this church, the natural side and the spiritual side. If you go back to the Old Testament, remember on the day of atonement, there were two goats. There were there were two goats. Remember that the type of Jesus and one was slaughtered and the blood was taken and put on the mercy seat. Is that right? There was also another goat that was not killed. It was kept alive. It was called the scapegoat. Remember, the priest laid his hands on that goat that was not slaughtered and symbolically transferred the sins of the people onto the goat. Remember that? And that goat was kept alive and sent into the wilderness. How many remembers that? And see, that represents both the natural side. How many of you know Jesus was slaughtered on the, on, on, on the, on, on the day of atonement when he died? Is that correct? In his blood, eventually he took himself into the holy of holies in heaven. Is that right? Read the book of Hebrews, you'll see that. But there was also a spiritual side where his spirit left his body. And then great argument is, where did his spirit go? Well, we know that his... After he was raised from the dead, Jesus himself said, he said, he said, I've not yet ascended. Is that correct? And he also said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Didn't Jesus say that himself? But then the argument is, well, well, where in the heart of the earth did he go? Because Hades, how many know Hades is the underworld? And if you look at Luke 16, you don't have to turn there now, but read it later. In the underworld, there were two compartments. There was one side, which is known as Abraham's bosom, also known as paradise. Remember, Jesus said to the thief, you'll be with me in paradise. How many remembers that? There's a great gulf fixed. And then on the other side was hell, a place of torment. And the big question is, is, well, where did Jesus' spirit go? Did he go to the paradise or did he go to the place of torment? Well, uh, Peter says, having loosed the pains of death. Now, I could stand here for six hours and give you one proof right after another showing you where Jesus' spirit went. You say, well, why are you talking about that? Because Peter talked about it on the day of Pentecost. Right here, the pains of death, that doesn't sound like paradise to me. That doesn't sound like Abraham's bosom to me. Does it you? Having loosed the, but wait, there's more. But having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Let me just throw this in here now. I'll show you. Jesus, when he died on the cross, his spirit left his body. His spirit went into the place of torment. We'll see that. The reason that hell could not hold Jesus, the reason it was not possible that hell could hold him, is because Jesus himself never sinned. Can somebody say amen? And he was there, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, and a righteous man who never sinned, tempted in all points like as we are, yet he never sinned, went in there, the righteous went into that place of, of torment, and for three days and three nights, that righteous man suffered the punishment of the unrighteous, thus satisfying the claims of a holy God. And at the end of that three days and three nights, the Bible is very clear when the claims of justice have totally been met from everything Jesus did on the cross to what he did in hell. Then the word of God came into that place and raised Jesus from the dead. Can you say amen? Jesus was not the first raised from physical death. Listen to me. Other people had been raised from physical death in the Old Testament and the New. Is that correct? But guess what? Every single one of them died again. Is that right? But Jesus, well, he, the Bible calls him the firstborn among many brethren. He was the firstborn from spiritual death. Do you hear me? The firstborn from spiritual death. Then the Bible says he was raised from physical death, got the glorified body, never to die again. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? He got the keys of hell and of death and was raised from the dead. Hell couldn't hold him because he never sinned. And notice in verse 25 here, Acts 2.25, for David. Now Peter begins to quote David from the Old Testament. 
And he says concerning him, and, and all Peter is doing now is quoting Psalm 16, but let's just read it here in Acts 2.25. He's, Peter's quoting David who said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul. Now he's talking about Jesus here. You will not leave my soul in Hades. But you study that word out. And every time that word is used in the New Testament, it's used in connection with the place of torment. And not only that, if you want to really get a pinpoint on where Jesus' spirit went, all you have to do is go over to Romans 10 and 7. You ought to turn over there sometime. I think they can throw it up on the screen. Romans 10 and 7. I'll give them a moment to do that. But Romans 10 and 7. Notice if you would. Talks about, actually, could we go up to verse 6, possibly? I, I, I just went, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Now, nobody would argue with that, that Christ is heaven. But now verse 7, or who will descend into the where? The abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Where did Jesus' spirit go for those three days and three nights into the abyss? You study that out. That, that, that word is used elsewhere in the New Testament and it's used in connection with the bottomless pit. The worst place of hell. It's a place where those demons, remember when Jesus cast those demons out of that legion, that man, that legion, and they went into those swine? Those demons said, don't send us out into the deep, but that word deep, don't send us out into the abyss. That's where those demons didn't want to go. That's where Jesus went. Think about it. When somebody dies that has rejected Jesus, they go to hell, don't they? And the reason is, is because they didn't accept Jesus Because, see, Jesus already went there and paid the price for us. So if you don't accept him, then you've got to go there and pay it yourself. It's a whole lot better deal to accept Jesus. Huh? That's where Jesus went. See, that never gets preached. That doesn't get talked about because people don't want to get in and study their Bible and find out where Jesus actually went. They say, well, why preach? I've had people tell me, don't preach on that. I've had good people say, don't preach on that. Don't preach on Don't bring it up. Why not? Peter brought it up. First sermon out of the blocks. He's talking about where G. He's talking about the physical side of Calvary. He's talking about the spiritual side. And every time I've preached about Jesus going into that place of torment and suffering for you and for me for three days and three nights and after satisfying the claims of a holy God on the third day, the word of God came into that region of the doomed and said, Thou art my son today. Have I begotten thee or I've regenerated thee? And the power of God hit Jesus. See, he was cut off, but not for himself. But glory to God on that third day when the claims of holy God had been satisfied. God, by his power, raised him from the dead. And when Jesus got raised, we got raised with him. Glory to God. And he had been cut off from the life of God. But on the third day, he got hooked back up to the life of God. When he got hooked up, we got hooked back up with him. And then he did something nobody ever did. He walked across that great gulf from one side to the other. Can you say amen? And in the meantime, and doing that, he took the keys of hell and of death. Glory to God. He made us. He spoiled the devil. He, he triumphed over all the power of the enemy. Glory to God. And then he went over in the region of, the, of paradise. He told us if he'd be with them in paradise. He went over into paradise. Glory to God. Read your Bible. You'll see they had a they had a, a praise service over there. Glory to God. And then he was raised. See, he then he got raised from physical death. He came up into that tomb because, see, the angel came down and rolled away the stone and Jesus' spirit came up into glory to God into his into his physical body, which was glorified. I believe it, it, it etched his his image on that shroud of turn. That's what I believe. But nonetheless, he came up into his body. Glory to God. And he stood up and he walked out of that tomb. Can you say amen? Praise God forevermore. Scared those guards clean, silly. Bless God forevermore. And then Mary came up to him. And he said, don't touch me for I have not yet ascended to my Father, to my God, and your God. He said, go tell Peter and all that. And then he ascended into heaven, heavenly holy of holies. He presented his blood on the heavenly mercy seat. It was acceptable to God. And he sealed eternal redemption for you and for me and anybody that calls on the name of the Lord with a repentant heart will be saved miss hell and make heaven Woo! can you say amen glory to God Woo! glory to God 
If you want some Holy Ghost preaching there, you got some. And I want to tell you right now, what I just did right here would not be accepted in most churches in this city. They'd throw me out on my ear. Did you hear what I just said? But they can throw me out. I'll stand in this pulpit and preach it. Glory to God. Because it's Bible. You'll not leave my soul. And I'm not going to apologize for preaching it. It's the word of God. And every time I preach like that. The power of God starts flowing. People start getting blessed. For you'll not leave my soul in hell. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. What does that mean? He'll be raised from the dead before his body starts to rot. Isn't that wonderful? And then in verse 28, you made known to me the ways of life. You'll make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, see Peter's first sermon. Let me speak freely to you that the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried in his tombs with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Glory to God. Talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. That his soul was not left where? In Hades or in hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up. Do you see he's continue, He's just hammering this. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The natural side and the physical side. That's the predominant message that should be coming from the pulpits. And that's certainly a message that ought to be going forth to sinners. You've got to realize that the crowd that he had was predominantly sinners. You preach the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ to sinners. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not, now Peter's saying this to the crowd, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself... See, David didn't, but Jesus did. See, David saw it. You know, real interesting little side note, I won't charge you any extra for this. But David, many thousands of years, I suppose, he got to see Jesus get raised from the dead in the spirit. He got to see that as a prophet. And then David was actually there over in paradise and he got to watch jesus be raised from spiritual death because you could see from one side to the other couldn't you go read luke 16 they could talk back and forth is that right send lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue remember the rich man cried that out to abraham is that right and david got to see it twice he got to see it in the spirit and then he was actually there when jesus got raised up you can read the book of matthew sometime and see that when jesus was raised from the dead physically when he walked out of the tomb there were other saints that got their glorified bodies you can see that in the book of matthew not all of them but some of them got their glorified bodies and then they did a parade into jerusalem somebody asked me one time pastor terry what do you think that they told the people there What do you you think they talked about? Well, what do you think they talked about? These guys just saw, guys and gals just saw Jesus get raised from the dead and defeat the devil. My, you could talk about, that beats anything the Super Bowl has to offer. Can you say amen? Glory to God. I'm not against the Super Bowl. I just think we ought to put Jesus ahead of the Super Bowl. Are you Okay. And then he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were what? What were they? They were what? Listen to me now. They were what? They were cut to the heart. That's the kind of result we should get from our preaching People should be cut to the heart. 
That's not going to be very popular in most churches in this nation that I know anything about. Because unless you leave the people in some euphoria, utopic, that you haven't done your job as a minister. And that is so far from the Bible. We're supposed to preach messages to sinners that cut them to the heart, that bring them to, to a point of decision. And we should preach messages. Yes, the Bible's clear. When you come to church, you ought to be lifted up. You ought to be encouraged. You ought to be exhorted and all that, all that. But there's also a part of it that, that, that as I preach up here, as a minister preaches, that even Christians ought to, be, ought to be cut to the heart if there's something in your life that shouldn't ought to be there. That's not popular. I've had people, I had one lady, I'll never forget it. She walked right up to me. She had attended here for several months. And she said, she said, Pastor Terry, I don't ever want you to challenge me with the word of God, ever. I said, what are you talking about, Willis? No, I didn't say that, but I wanted to say that. Don't you challenge me with the word of God. And I, and I said, well, ma'am, I, I preach messages that do challenge you, but I, I teach a lot of lifting you up and exhorting you. And She said, yes, you do. I have to be honest. You do preach a lot of messages that exhort me and encourage me, but you preach some that challenge me, and I don't ever want to be challenged. And she took her bucket and left. I mean, she, you know, bucket, the sand pail, you know, she, she took it and left. Sad, isn't it? If you're never being cut to the heart by a message that comes across the pulpit, you're not sitting under a pulpit that's ordained and called by God. If you're sitting under a pulpit that is all positive all the time, it is not called of God. Did you hear what I just said? No more than if you sit under a pulpit that's all negative all the time. That's not called by God either. You okay? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That blesses me. What shall we do? It means that they're receiving what's being said. We'll see as we go over the next couple of weeks that when... A similar message was preached to different people. Not everybody received this message. Did you know that the same sun that melts wax hardens clay? And when the gospel is preached, not everybody's going to receive, but we preach it like everybody will and just do the best we can to preach what God says. And Peter says in verse 38, he says, real loud, say, repent. Say it again. Repent. repent. That was a message of the, of the early church. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, the uh, church of Christ has taken this one verse and built a doctrine that doesn't line up with the word of God. They say that you have to be water baptized to be saved, but that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not even what this scripture teaches. If you study it out, that word for in the Greek doesn't mean for, it means because of. Repent and let every one of you be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the remission of sins. It's interesting, would everybody in here agree with me that you have to believe on Jesus to get saved? And this verse, he, do, he doesn't mention, <laughs> doesn't even mention believe. And I'm not putting the Church of Christ down, but they drove me crazy with this when I was a young kid. They told me, the one guy told me, he said, I, I said, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're headed to get baptized. What if we get hit by a truck? He said, you'll fry in hell until you come up out of the water. That, that affects a young person. It's not in line with the scripture. You get saved the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And water baptism is something you do that is an outward sign of an inward happening. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of, because you've been saved, then you go get baptized. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, I want to bring this out. This is so good. Diane, Diane actually, her and I were discussing this yesterday and she brought this out. She said, you know, after they, they, Peter just told them that, hey, you crucified Jesus. And they did, didn't they? This crowd that he's talking to. 
Is that right? I mean, the, Jew, the, the, the religious leaders along with the, with the Romans. And actually, Pilate didn't want to crucify him. Is that right? It was a religious, re, religious leadership. But it's interesting, Jesus, Peter says to the crowd, you've killed him. And then he said, and Diane brought this out and it's so good. She said, you know, think about it. What Peter was really saying, the one that you've just killed, the one that you've just crucified, uh, he left you in his will. Think about if you had a, a brother or a sister and you were just mean to them and you treated them horrible and you even caused directly or indirectly caused their death. And then when the will was read, they left you a million dollars. How would you feel? You probably feel it. If you had any heart about you at all, you'd probably feel a little guilty, wouldn't you? Huh? You might rejoice about the million, but you, if you had any heart about you, you'd, why, well, treat them horrible? Well, this is even better than that. The one that they just crucified, hey, Jesus left you in his will. And if you'll repent and believe on him, the one that you just crucified has offered you eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you know that beats a million dollars? And then verse 39 for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God, our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. See, he exhorted them. It wasn't all a beat over the head. We're not here to beat people over. The, I'm not here to beat anybody over the head. I'm here to just challenge you to let's move up to a higher level. And then he said to them, he said, be saved from this perverse generation. See, he could preach and the Holy Spirit could convict, but ultimately they had to make the decision whether or not they were going to receive. And then those who gladly, what, received his word, see they received his word as many as received him, to them gave he power to become children of God, even to them that believe in his name which were born, not of, the, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. That's what John 1, 12 and 13 said. They received the word. And they got born again and then they were water baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good uh, altar response, isn't it? 3,000. That's a mega church right there, isn't it? Now you have to, I do have to say this, they were the only church in town, by the way. So when you have a church, and you're only church in town, you're probably, if you're the only restaurant in town, you're probably going to have good business unless you're just serving totally bad food. Is that right? But now, nowadays in this, in this land in which we live, not just in this city, but, but in Tulsa is probably the, they've got more than any of the others, is you've got a church starting about every, about every five minutes. Somebody's starting a church. You've got a church on every corner. Most of them aren't even called of God, but some, some of them are, but, but, but a, lot, a lot of them aren't. You know what a lot of them, should I just tell you why a lot of them start? I'm glad you asked. It's because a lot of those got now not all of them, but a lot of those people that are called that, that that start churches, the reason they do it is because they couldn't have their way. They were an assist, they're really called to be assistants and helpers, but they couldn't have their way at the church where God assigned them to help somebody who is called, and so they're going to start their own deal. If you want to just know the truth about it, that's that, that's just the truth. Now, as I begin to close this, look at verse 42. After these people got saved, and thank God they did. There's nobody beyond the grace of the Lord. And in verse 42, now, now notice, now this is what we, if you're born again, if you're, if you're born again, you ought to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. But this is what this is this is how life should be. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Say continued. Say steadfastly. Now notice in the apostles' doctrine. Somebody said, Well, what is the apostles' doctrine? Well, you can start in the book of Romans and go all the way through the book of Revelation, and there you've got the apostles' doctrine. Now I'm not going to take the time to read all that to you. 
It'd be a long time. How many wants me to read Romans or Revelation right now? I mean, we'd be here about 6 o'clock tonight and maybe be through Romans. So I'm not going to do that, but you can look at, you got to look at Hebrews 6 sometime. Do you know that, that, that most people have no clue what the Apostles' doctrine is? Repentance from dead works. You find this Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Repentance from dead works. This is elementary, folks. This is elementary. You should know this. And these are the kinds of things that should be preached from the pulpit. Yet I've had people leave here by the droves because I teach on these things. Because they don't want to hear these things. They want me to give them a word for their best life now. Come on now. Repentance from dead. The Holy Ghost said to me, and he was quite, quite frustrated because I was praying concerning the churches of America and the pulpits of America. And, and the Spirit of God said to me, he said, they're not teaching my doctrine anymore. Quite, quite stern. Doctrine should come from the pulpits. It's one reason this nation is in the mess that it's in. Repentance from dead works. Faith toward God. The doctrine of baptisms. There's three baptisms. The most important one, when you get born again, you're baptized in the body of Christ. There's the baptism in the Holy Ghost, and then there is the uh, water baptism, you see. Then the laying on of hands. We lay hands on the sick. Believers lay hands on the sick, and they're recovered. Uh, the apostles would lay hands on people at times, and they get filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, Paul laid hands on Timothy and imparted a spiritual gift to him. And then Jesus laid hands on, uh, at times on people just to bless them, you see. Are you Okay. So what do we have? Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Those are considered elementary. Yet in most churches in this nation, what I just stated to you would be considered the deep things of God and meat. And it's not. It's milk. What I just quoted to you is milk. Repentance from dead works, faith toward... Because the Bible... Call, read Romans 6, 1, 2, 3. Element, these are elementary things, folks. You need to, you need to know these things. Say, say repentance from dead works. Faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. That's what they continued in steadfastly in the early church. Yet most Christians in this nation today don't have a clue what those are. Is that right? Listen to this. This is from my, my dad's evangelical catechism. This is what my mom and dad were brought up on. I'm just going to read a half of this first page. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Listen to this. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. How many of you are good so far? And in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. How many of you are good for that? This is what needs to be taught in the public schools of the United States of America. And it once was. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The one holy universal Christian church. That's talking about becoming a member of the church, getting born again. Not the member of a local church. How many of you know membership in a local church won't save you? You need to be a member of the universal church. And I'm not talking about the Catholic church. I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, originally that word Catholic, that word Catholic means, means universal. But see, it means something totally different today, doesn't it? Believe in the communion of the saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. How many of you are good for that? I read that some years ago and I thought, my God, do you do the first two, the first two senses of that and you're saved? So what did they do? They, now listen to this. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the things we just noted. And fell now, now say I'm listening. Now, now, now hang on this, please get this. And fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now listen carefully. Now if you don't get what I'm about to say, you're going to miss something. Now get this. My wife and I talked about this yesterday. If I said to you, let's have a church fellowship, most people would immediately think, well, 
We're going to have some food. And we're going to have some nice stuff to drink, you know, iced tea, soda, lemonade, whatever. And we're going to just kind of hang out and talk about, you know, how it's going at work or, you know, how this is going in your life or talk about the latest movie or talk about the voice. or Now, isn't that correct? And that is so out of line with the word of God. It's 180 degrees out of line with the word of God. There is nothing wrong with getting together and having food. There's nothing wrong with having lemonade. There's nothing wrong with talking about how things are going at work. Those are good things. Real loud, say those are good things. Say this, say, Pastor Terry is for that. 100%. But here's the thing. When you talk fellowship in the early church, fellowship was around the word of God. That was the principal thing. Oh, how I would love to have men's fellowships around here. Oh, how I would love to do that. And I, and I believe the Spirit of God is leading me back that way. But you know why we haven't had them, just to be as honest as I can be with you? I started them years back. And we had them for some time, and then I just got so disgusted that I just stopped. I'm not against men. I'm not talking about you guys, because all these guys I'm talking about now, they've since, since gone. I couldn't fix it. We'd have a men's breakfast. And that's good. Bacon and eggs. I'm good. I'm good. I love them. Great. And then after the bacon and eggs, and we talk about, you know, a little bit about, you know, just, just, just talking. That's good. I'm for it. But then I wanted to get, let's get into the Word of God. Let's discuss the Scripture. Let's pray. Let's, and I could not get the guys to show up for that. And I had them come to me, more than one, several. And the one guy told me, Pastor Terry, look, these men's breakfast, why don't we do this? said, let's get together. Let's have the food and all of that. And then let's, let's, let's have some, let's. I'll, I'll pick on fantasy football. Let's have our fantasy football. Now, how many of you know I'm not against that? Now, I'm against gambling if that's included, but a lot of times they do fantasy football and they give their money to a good charity. I'm, I'm not against that. I don't believe that the atmosphere before a service should be fantasy football. It should be the Word of God. I can't tell you how many people that's cost me over the years holding that line, but I'm going to hold that line. This is going to be a church about Jesus Christ first. Fantasy football can happen after the service, down the road. Jesus first. The guy come to me and he said, he said, here's essentially what he said. He said, listen to this. He said, these are men's fellowships. He said, we're, we're not coming together to hear the word of God and to pray. He said, just if you want to do that, just slip that in, just slip that in at, the, you know, maybe give five minutes to it, slip it in at the end or somewhere. But we're not coming to here. And I had more than one tell me essentially that right there. I had one guy, God love him, came to me. And he said, he said, you know, leaving. And I said, okay. And essentially what he said, he said, this is what he said. Maybe if you'd have been more involved with the fantasy football, maybe we'd be staying. Can you see what I've had to deal? I mean, great people. I've had a lot of great people. But these are some of the things I don't ever talk about. But you see, it's fitting to talk about it today. Fellowship should be I'm not against fantasy football. I'm not against women getting together and watching, what do they call them, chick flicks? I mean, is that what it's called? I'm not against it. What are you watching, Anna Green Gables? I'm, look, I'm all for it. Don't pick on Anna Green Gables. My wife will hit, hit me over the head. I'm, I'm for all of it. Say the pastor's for it. Yeah, I'm for it. I'm just not for putting it first. 
I said, I'm not for putting it first. I said, I'm not for putting that first. I'm for putting Jesus Christ first, the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. I'm for keeping God the Father holy and uplifted and exalted. Jesus, His Son, seated at the right hand of Almighty God in power and glory, ever living to make intercession for you and for me. I'm for the Holy Ghost. Praise God. The power of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit. Can you say amen? I asked that man, and I I just couldn't resist. I said, tell me how many you're leaving because of fantasy football, essentially. Okay, I said, how many miracles or healing, healing testimonies does that other church have? And I'm not here to compete with churches. But he said, I don't know that they've had any. But they got a. I hate to say it, but they got a heck of a fantasy football and social club. And I've had, I've had several such similar kinds of things over the years. So I don't get up and talk about it. Fellowship in the early church was to be around the Word of God. That's what fellowship is. See, I, I, I know I need to wind this up, but listen to me. Fellow, you see, words change. Meanings change. Is that correct? If you use the word gay. Back in the 20s or 30s, it meant one thing. It meant happy. You use it today, it's equated with homosexuality, which is sinful. Correct? Fellowship. In the early church, we're going to get together in fellowship. What was the predominant thing? It was we're going to get together and we're going to discuss the apostles' doctrine. Do you see how things have changed? Now, is Pastor Terry against lemonade? Am I against donuts? No. Those should be secondary to the Word of God. That's what fellowship meant in the early church. Breaking of bread. When you start talking of breaking of bread, right there everybody's thinking about St. Louis Bread Company. I'm looking at verse 42. What did they do in the early church? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship. Do you know what fellowship now means? And the breaking of bread. Now, you see, if you said that today, most church people, they think that's going, we're going to go to the bread company. I'm serious. You know what the breaking of bread was there? It's what we're going to do here in just a few moments. It was the receiving of Holy Communion. That's what that was. Now, am I against the bread company? No. I'm all for it. I mean, it's all good. But, but you see, what I'm trying to say to you, things have to have a priority. God must be first. The Word of God must be first. We must come to church on Sunday morning to put God first and to discuss the Word of God and to worship God. And that's what we put first. And you know, by the way, I'll just throw this in for good measure. A lot of times when those people leave, and you know what happens when they hit a catastrophe in their life or a sickness or a disease that's looking to take them out? Guess who gets the phone call? Guess who gets the phone call? See, they don't want fantasy football in that hour. They want somebody that has put the Word of God first and somebody that has put prayer first and somebody that can tap into the healing power of God. Now, you see, you just have to ask yourself, is this cutting you to the heart? I hope that it is. Well, you've got to ask yourself, what kind of church do you want? Do you want to be entertained or do you want something like what you've seen here today? You've got to decide what you want. Breaking of bread has to do with communion and in prayers. Why is it? My wife and I... We, we, we think about this sometimes. And I realize sometimes folks have to go to work and a lot of things. I'm not putting anybody down, but this one might cut you to the heart. But if the... Why is it that when... Should I go ahead and say it? Okay. Why is it that when we're going to have prayer like once a quarter on a Sunday morning, or then... Like once in a while, we'll have, once a month, we have goodies out there. Why is it that when... And, and you need to ask yourself this question. I'm not here to put you down, but you need to look at yourself and ask yourself this question. Because I'm just trying to bring us all up to where we need to be. Why is it that when we have prayer once a quarter on a Sunday, 
you'll have almost almost nobody stay for it. But when we serve goodies out there on a Sunday morning, you get a large number of people stay for that. Why is that? Is it because people are afraid to pray because they don't know how to pray? We never make anybody pray. I'm never going to call on you and ask you to pray because I don't want to put you on the spot. But just being here in agreement, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. Is it because you like natural things more than spiritual things? See, people that like natural things more than spiritual things don't tend to stay here very long because I keep spiritual things first here. But why is that? You need to examine yourself. Does that cut you to the heart? I hope that it does. Because you need to look at yourself. Why is it that when we have prayer, so few people stay, but when we have donuts, you get almost everybody. So why is that? You need to answer that. You need to go and look in the mirror and take a long look at yourself. Okay? You okay? Do you want to be like the early church or not? What did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship around the word of God in the receiving of in the breaking of bread in prayers. Fear came upon every soul. I wonder why fear came upon every soul. Because the power of God was in manifestation and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. We've had lots of healing miracles over the last 21 years. Let's have some more. So many people have been helped in here because of things like what I just did. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy. The Bible said all who were believed were together and had all things in common. That early church was not a communist church. Not at all. The Bible says they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. It wasn't, that was not a communist church. See, communism is mandatory. It takes things from you. See, I'm reading from Acts 2, 44 and 45. Communism takes things from you. There in the early church, it was free will. They didn't have to sell their land or their assets. They didn't have to. It was free will. See, communism says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. But fellowship says, what's mine is yours, I'll share it. Do you ever think when Peter said, silver and gold have I none? You know why he didn't have any silver or gold? Because he'd sold what he had and he put it in there in, 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 the, in the, the, the treasury of the church. And it's interesting, too, that it's unique for that time. I'm talking about the church in Jerusalem. It was unique for that time because there was... A law that had been passed, a law that had been passed, that everything that belonged to a Christian, if he was, if he was discovered, they see they passed a law there in Jerusalem, it was a persecutory, persecutory law. And uh, if they found you were a Christian, they could take everything you had, all your assets. And if somebody turned you in to the government... The person that turned you in, there'd be a bounty on your head and they could get 10%. Like if, if I knew Diane was a Christian, I could turn her into the government. The government take all of her assets and give me 10%. So you know how they sold everything there in that early church. That was just for that one church. It wasn't something they practiced throughout all the churches. It was because in part that law, that, that they had, persecutory law that was passed there. And... Uh, Somehow or another, it alleviated that. But nobody had to sell their land. Nobody had to give, get, did they? You can read Acts, the fifth chapter, and see that. So they weren't, they, they, they weren't a communist church. Say amen. I, I, that was, I, I got off in the spirit there, and I needed to come back and finish this. They sold their possessions and good, divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 45. And then verse 46, two more verses and we'll close. So continue, so continue in daily with one accord in the temple. How often they, did they continue? Daily. You think going to church one time a week is, is a stretch. I used to think going three times a week was a stretch. They went daily. 
had prayer services. And breaking bread from house to house. What does that have to do with? That's receiving communion. And they would, they'd have their temple time, you know, of course. And then they, they would meet in houses and all that. They ate their food with gladness and sincerity, simplicity of heart. Praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church.